Fred put that thing in my pocket so if I go too long, he'll hit a button and it shot me. <laughs> he says it's to record, but I don't believe that. <laughs> I know how these pastors are, you know. Uh, but uh, it is a, a blessing to be here. Uh, uh, some of you might not know, but my family and Selena go way back to Guatemala. My oldest daughter uh, actually babysitted her in Guatemala, and so we know their family very well. And uh, we didn't know Brad, but since we've got to know Brad uh, some time now, uh, he's always a blessing to us. Uh, came to Peru, and uh, we have some really, really hot peppers in Peru. And that guy's eating them like popcorn. I'm thinking, <laughs> golly. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but my wife and I, stand up so everybody can see you. Uh, uh, somebody said years ago, that's Abraham and Sarah. And uh, she's followed me all over the world and uh, raised our kids. Uh, give her credit for raising our kids because of busy in ministry. Uh, we spent somewhere almost 40 years on the mission field uh, out of the country, living in another country. And so we have uh, a number of different experiences that we could share. Uh, time is short, uh, but uh, we have had some really good experiences. I went to uh, uh, Africa, uh, first trip with my son Martin, that's with the Lord today. And uh, so, uh, you know, being in a different culture, there's different thoughts and things of that nature, different things people do. The first thing was I was in the, we stayed in a little, we went to an outback town way out in the bush and uh, a village type thing, but a little more modern than just a, a mud hut. And so uh, the first thing that morning, we we're going to do the meeting and uh, the interpreter, my interpreter, he comes over and, uh, uh, and the missionary said, you need to put on a tie or wear an African shirt. Uh, all the men had ties. Everybody, you wore a tie or an African shirt. And so uh, later on in the week there, uh, we we're actually eating lunch. You're going to have lunch in the pastor's office. Now, uh, we had lunch uh, during the week at other places, uh, and most of the people were eating with their fingers. And they have a food there called enshima. Uh, uh, you might not know what that is, but... And Shima is just a real thick, when it's cooked down, it's real thick grits, okay? And they eat it with their fingers and with a, a soupy type uh, uh, stew or something along that line. And uh, in, in Mexico, of course, it's tortillas. In Guatemala, it was tortillas and black beans, which was a staple. Well, over there, it's in Shima. And uh, so we're in the pastor's office, and uh, we're sitting on the sofa, and a little table in front of us. And this, uh, the, the African ladies were really thin, tall, and dressed very elegantly. Uh, they were really colorful clothes, but really elegant. And this lady comes through the door with a tray of food. Okay, when she walked through the door, she just immediately, and I can't do it, uh, but she goes to her knees. And she walks on her knees over to the little coffee table puts the food down, and then does like this. And the pastor does like that, and she backs up on her knees, stands up at the door, and backs out of the door. I thought, you know, I sort of like that. <laughs> and uh, when we got to Peru, the, the, the men get served first, and I thought, you know, that's a good culture. I sort of like that, you know. And, uh, but... Uh, I thought, well, I can come back to Peru and I can implement that into the church. And my wife let me know, said, if it doesn't work in the family, it won't work in church. <laughs> in other words, she's not going to do that. Right. Later I found out it was the pastor's wife. And in that culture, uh, a woman is not supposed to have her head higher than the men. And, of course, my wife says, I never have my head higher than yours. She's shorter than I am. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so... Uh, uh, it was interesting to learn of the cultures and things of that nature and, and see how people operate. And then in uh, the Latin American culture, they have a thing called macho machismo, uh, muy machista, in the, in the sense that the, the man is the figure, okay? And in most of that 
aspect. He has very little to do with the family, very little to do with the training of the children. It's the woman's job to do that. He's a macho, you know, it's just not his job. And uh, so we, as Father, and you know, Father's Day, uh, you know, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, show us the Father. And, and he says, Philip, I've been with you so long and you don't recognize me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And years ago, I was down in the Amazon jungle. Uh, it was in a tent with a couple of my sons and son-in-law. And I woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I heard this on the inside of me. My Father and I, we are one. And it sort of ran around on the inside, and I thought, whoa. You know, and I heard it again. My Father and I are one. So I grabbed my New Testament, my flashlight, and I began looking. It's got to be in the Bible. And they, in the scripture, John says that they uh, took up stones to stone Jesus. And he said, well, what good work will you stone me for? We won't stone you for good works, but we stone you because you make yourself equal with God. Because he has said, my father and I, we are one. As a father, okay, uh, <laughs> I remember years ago hearing somebody say this, you know, being a parent, uh, uh, especially in my case, a father, nobody taught me to be a father. Uh, I had one, uh, but the truth is I had also five brothers as much older than I was. I'm the baby of the family. Uh, all of them are in heaven today. And uh, the truth is I never had a relationship with my dad. Uh, I think back, you know, trying to remember if there was ever one time where he sat down and actually conversed with me alone. And I can't remember that. Now, he was a good worker. He was a good provider. Uh, he was a good man. Uh, he never disciplined me. Mama did. No. <laughs> I, sometimes I wish he had a. <laughs> uh, I had uh, met peach limbs several times in my life. <laughs> That's something you don't hear today, peach limbs, you know. But... Uh, I had several encounters with them, uh, and Mama was the, the person that disciplined me. Uh, but the, th the truth is, I didn't have a role model. I don't know how to be a father. I don't know what fatherhood is. I get married, and of course, you know, babies come, but nobody taught me to be a father, so it's on the job training. And somebody says, parenting is on the job training. And you learn on the job a lot of things that you don't know, but when you know them, then the kids are grown and you don't need it anymore. <laughs> Which, in some cases, the truth. But, you know, uh, we do have great grandkids and, and, and our grandkids. And somebody made this statement, if I knew grandkids were so great, I'd have had them first. But it doesn't work that way either. Uh, being Father's Day, let's talk a little bit about our father of the faith. Uh, there are several things as a father uh, that we can give our kids. Uh, one of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, Peter talked about having spiritual sons. Paul talked about spiritual sons and being the father of many people. Uh, I've, I've seen and I believe one of our weaknesses in our culture in the United States is the kids have so much diversion and parents had rather have their kids being entertained rather than trained. Uh, the reason why we have politics and such problems in politics is because we haven't been effective in training our kids for that purpose. Uh, and if we don't train godly people to be godly leaders, then we will not have godly leaders. Somebody else will train them to do something else. And so uh, one of the most important things I believe a father can leave his children is faith in God. Uh, but not just faith in God in the sense of, quote, faith in God that, okay, we're, we're Christians and so we worship God. A little bit more than that. It's a relationship with God. Uh, you know, they need to see their parents pray. Uh, I remember some of my kids remarking uh, about myself because many times they find me at 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, praying. 
because the Spirit of God would waken me up and have me pray. Um, my, uh, thank God for the Spirit of God, you know. Uh, uh, my wife and I, we were over in the high jungles of Peru, and there's, at that time there's no telephones. We've got lots of telephones now. Everybody's got one. To, they think they drive the roads instead of the cars, you know. <laughs> And they just walk across the street looking at the telephone. Uh, but at that time, there was no telephones. And so my wife and I was over there. And uh, after we had eaten uh, dinner one night, um, uh, this particular night was interesting because my wife, uh, she ordered a salad, which is not the best thing to order on the mission field. It's a, it's a salad. And uh, all of a sudden, this big green worm crawls out of the lettuce. And she calls the waiter over. And she says, uh, <clears throat> there's a worm in my lettuce. He says, well, he's only eating the lettuce, you know. <laughs> but uh, I had this on the inside of me, just a nudging. Uh, you know, and uh, one of our uh, mentors in ministry, he said, you ought to be able to look back on your life and see how the Spirit of God's led you and, and recognize that when he's leading you. Uh, and this was sort of like a little nudge right in there, not indigestion or anything like that, a little nudge. And I knew, okay, I need to pray. And I yielded to that and prayed for about two and a half hours, and I got a note of victory. And I, I told my wife, I said, uh, I don't know what's happening, but something is happening with our boys. They lived in Tallahassee, Florida at that time. Uh, and something's happening to them. And so we got back to Lima a couple of days later. I called him up. My younger son answered the phone. He said, Dad, let me tell you what happened. So we went across this main highway to get a Coke. And coming back, a truck hit us. And he said, I had just opened my Coke, and it shook like that. And I turned and asked my brother, what's going on? And it totaled their car. The truck that hit them went 280 feet the other side of the impact, did seven flips, and they didn't have a scratch on them. And see, that's the Holy Ghost working with us as fathers. To protect our family. And uh, uh, so our relationship with the Holy Spirit is one of the most important things that we can learn uh, and, and, and move in faith in that. Now, it, was just a, it wasn't a booming voice, just a little nudge. Uh, years ago, I read this story uh, about Smith Wigglesworth. I don't know if you've ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth, but uh, according to some people's testimonies that he had raised somewhere close to 27 people from the dead. Uh, in his books, it registered about three, I think, that he had actually raised from the dead. And uh, he said in the beginning, a young man came to their fellowship that had an unusual presence and anointing of God on him. And so they got around him later on, and they asked, how do you have this? He says, well, I have learned over the years at the slightest hint of prayer I separate myself to pray. That's really good. Because sometimes it's just a thought. We're riding down the road and we begin thinking of a friend that we knew back so-and-so or somebody we knew or somebody in the church. And we actually sometimes ask the question, why am I thinking of them? When really and truly it's the Holy Spirit putting that thought in our minds so we will actually pray for them. Something is about to happen to them and we can pray for them. And uh, probably one of the weak areas in the body of Christ today is that particular thing there is learning to listen to the Holy Spirit and following prayer. Uh, but let's go over to Romans, the fourth chapter. And uh, let me talk a little bit about the father of the faith. Now, Abraham is a very unique character in the sense that Abraham uh, was chosen by God. And one of the reasons... Uh, Maybe the main reason that it was stated that God actually chose him it was because he would command his children. Right. Now, I know uh, uh, Pastor Brad, we've been uh, around a couple of times, and uh, we actually did some hunting together. And um, uh, he understands bows and arrows. And uh, so, you know, it talks in, in different places about your quiver being full. Uh, and then it talks about sending forth arrows. And many times we haven't related that to our children, that we have this great opportunity to train our children and shoot them into society like an arrow, uh, shooting at a target. 
Uh, now, I will tell this, you know, we had a target set up, uh, and, and Pastor Brad, we were practicing, and over next to it is another target with, uh, you know, little spots on it and things like that. And this bale of hay we're shooting in, because he's shooting a traditional bow. And uh, so he shoots at the bale of hay, hits the other target right in the bullseye. <laughs> and the, the guy that's with us, he says, man, that's a good shot. He said, I was shooting at the bale of hay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, but this is, this is the thing with our kids, okay? We don't realize many times when they're kids the great potential they have to affect people in this world and actually what they do. Now, I mentioned our son Martin. Uh, uh, unfortunately, he passed away last August. And... Um, and in celebration of life, he was our stateside coordinator and things of that nature of our ministry for many, many years. And uh, grew up on the mission field with us and very bold, very likable. Never met a, a, a somebody that uh, wasn't a friend, always easy to talk to people. And the way people talked about him and the many people that he had influenced in his life made me realize even more as a father how much influence we can have in this world through our kids. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, here in, in Romans, the fourth chapter, uh, we talk a little bit about Abraham. And I want to read something out of the, the Message Bible. Uh, Electronics, you know, we had to switch back and forth. <laughs> but thank God for them, you know. Uh, so it starts off in the message Bible like this. So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we are given is a God story, not an Abraham story. Now I'm talking about Abraham because Abraham had realized something. And God chose Abraham to be the father of faith. Now many times when we talk about Old Testament saints, uh, even the, the Jewish people in the, in the Old Testament... We think of people of perfection, and Abraham was not perfect. And that's one of the things as a father, you have to learn. You're not perfect. You don't know everything. But what you do know, you can share with your kids. Uh, you know, years ago, uh, uh, Dr. Ed Cole would come down to Peru and minister. And uh, he was big on marriage and, and, and just some really good stuff on leadership and stuff like that, especially in, in, within marriage. And uh, he told this story that he was in a prayer line one time. And uh, this man was in the prayer line. And he comes to him to pray for him. He said, pray for my two sons. And he says, um, uh, why? And he says, uh, they're both alcoholics. And so Ed, Dr. Cole, asked the man. He says, were you an alcoholic? And he didn't want to answer. He said, yes, I was. He says, have you asked forgiveness from them for the manner of life you lived before them? And he says, no, I haven't. He said, what you don't realize is they have retained your sin. And that sin is reigning over them. You need to go to them. And, I, and, and, and you know, in, in different cultures, we have seen people say be estranged from somebody in their family for years and years and years over just a little thing instead of just being the big person and saying, hey, forgive me. Because the relationship is more important than the actual thing that's keeping us from having the relationship. And uh, because it's the same way uh, with people uh, uh, in regards to husband and wives, you know, and things of that nature. 
Uh, I learned years ago when I would react in a certain way, I have to ask the question, why? What pushed my button? What caused me to react that way? And the bottom line, for instance, years ago, uh, I was up in, uh, 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 in a northern state. I'm by myself. I've been ministering, raising support for the ministry. And uh, I have a rental car. And so I have to return to rental car early in the morning because of an early morning flight. And I had been packing all night. And, you know, with a rental car, you have the option to either pay for gasoline or fill it up. Well, I always try to fill it up because it's normally less at the pump than what they charge you at the rental place. And so I've been packing all night long. And so I get up a little bit late and I'm in a hurry. Well, they got this little fold-out thing on your thing when you return the car. It says uh, quarter, half, three-quarter, full. Well, I'm at three-quarters okay and I don't have time to stop and get gas so I mark it full that's what you call a lie (laughs) now the Lord began immediately dealing with me not about the lie itself but why why did I do that why did I not mark it three quarters and pay the extra and the bottom line is, is unbelief. I didn't believe God could supply that need that I had at that moment. Very good. So I have to ask the question, why do I react that way? Why did I do this? Why did I get mad? You know, I heard T.D. Jakes years ago preach a message. He says, nobody made you mad. Mad was on the inside of you. So, so he, he asked the question. He says, why are we mad? And that's a good question. Why do I react the way that I react? Why do I react this way toward my kids? I wish I could say I was a perfect father. I wasn't. Okay. And I didn't realize that I had to become the father of different personalities. Each one of my children had a different personality. Some of them were real easy. But then I got two. One is worse than the other one that is just off the chart. I mean, energy like all get out. In Guatemala, I have an on-off-road motorcycle. It's a big one, okay? And one of my sons had, he would take it without my permission, okay? And he'd, get, he'd have to stand up on something to get on the thing. But once on, he's on the thing, he's on the thing. I mean, popping wheelies with a big old motor, he's just a little talk like that. Okay? And he's that way. Okay? And I don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> now, all I know is Mama's peach tree. <laughs> well, that's not the best way. Okay? And uh, uh, this guy in, in, in Peru, hard-headed. I tried to talk with him. He's just hard-headed. Why? Because he's in church. He's supposed to be a Christian man. And the way he disciplines his son makes him stand in the corner and read the Bible. Well, that doesn't draw his son to God. Thank God for his mama that was strong enough to stand up to the guy. And, and, and get his son out of that kind of abusive situation. But you think, okay, this guy don't realize he's trying to make his son learn something from the Bible. And actually what he's going to do is push him away from God, not to God. And so uh, uh, Abraham, let me get back over here again. So how do we fit what we know of Abraham? Our first father in the faith And he's called the father of the faith. Okay. Into this new way of looking at things. I read that years ago and I thought, well, what is this new way of looking at things? It's through the finished work of Christ. I found out that I had to filter everything I hear in the church world through the finished work of Christ. And I have to ask the question. Did Jesus finish this? 
Years ago, I heard, I don't hear it so much today, but God would make you sick with sickness. Well, how did that fit in the finished work of Christ? Where it says, he took our sickness and he bore our pains. And by his stripes, we were healed. So I can't accept that. That's a filter system. The finished work of Christ. What did he finish for us? What did he do for us? Now, notice what it says here. He says, like I mentioned, but this story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in the scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. Now, one of the things that causes tension in our lives Unbeknownst many times to us is a religious activity where we have to do this and we have to do that to be accepted by God. Years ago, I was talking with a young man about his children. Uh, and it was, the subject was about God and us and the way God accepts us. He accepts us as sons. We have become sons of God. And he accepts you because of you are a son. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, there's a story uh, about Jonathan and David. And later Jonathan was killed. David was made king. And David begins asking the question. He says, is there not any heir of Jonathan that I can show kindness to? And they, he sent troops all over to find him. Well, Jonathan had a son called Mephibosheth. Yeah, I want to say it in Spanish. It's easier. <laughs> it's easier in Spanish. Uh, but you know who I'm talking about, right? And so uh, he had, uh, as a child, been hurt and could walk. And so here David sends soldiers. Now, customary. Any family of the king would be annihilated. And so David brings Meshivah uh, to his kingdom. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, I normally go to the voice thing on dictionary and say, say it to me so I can hear it. <laughs> and uh, so he gets before David and you can imagine his thoughts. That the king is going to do away with me. And he says, I have one question. Whose son are you? That's all I want to know. I don't want to know anything else. Are you Jonathan's son? Well, just one question. Whose son are you? Are you God's son? So you are God's son. Okay. And so... Being God's sons, we entered into what He has done for us. That's why Abraham was called the father of faith. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, there was a time I struggled as a missionary, okay? I'm on the mission field. And to get support, I've got to do something big. And if I did something big last week, like last week we had 20 people receive the Lord in this meeting. So this week I've got to have 40 or 50 people. Can't be 20 again. Okay. And without realizing it, the devil had put me on this is called the belt without end. It's a treadmill. You're running and you're running and you're running, but you don't go anywhere. You're running and you're running, you're running, you don't go anywhere. And much of the Christian world is like that. They're running and running and running and running and not going anywhere. They're always trying to get something that they already have. Very good. So good. Instead of realizing what Christ has done for us. Okay. And Abraham entered in by faith to what God had already said he was going to do. And he goes on to say, if you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. That's true. You don't call your wages a gift. 
But if you see the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust Him to do it, you could never do it for yourself, no matter how hard or long you work. Well, that trusting Him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God, sheer gift. Now, we don't wear ties very much anymore in church. That's what I said to you. Because you know what a, a gift is? It's no strings attached. But as a pastor in Peru for over 30 years, we lovely people, wonderful people. They want to bless their pastor. And they bring me the ugliest tie that you could ever see in your life. And give it to me. But it's not a pure gift. It's got a string attached to it. I got to wear it on Sunday morning in church. And I can't give it away. <laughs> okay. They'll know it. Somebody, where, where, Pastor gave you, that my, that's my tie I gave him. A pure gift is a gift that has no strings attached. It's here it is. And that's the kind of gift that God has given us. It's a pure gift. You know, we hear, we hear uh, years ago, and I, I was guilty of it too, you know. I heard somebody preach on this, and I just picked it up as a young minister and began saying the same thing, you know, at a verse of Scripture over in Deuteronomy, that God's given us power to get wealth so that we may establish His covenant in the earth. Not what it said. He's given us power to get wealth so that He could establish his covenant in the earth. Yeah. He's the one that establishes the covenant, not me. That's right. And and, and and he does that with a because we have all kinds of concepts of prosperity. Yeah. Very good. Now I believe it was James that said that God will bless the work of our hands. Yes. One of the couples in our church, young pastors going up north to start a church and they don't have any resources and she come to me one day and she said the Lord told me in his word that he's going to bless the work of my hands I'm going to give him a lot to bless and she started cooking tortillas, tamales anything that she started knocking on doors selling her goods and God blessed them. They were making thousands of meals a day all of a sudden to give to people and sell to people and stuff like that. But not only that, people began to know her in the community and began to listen to what she had to say about Christ. Very good. Very good. I mean, and so, uh, and it goes on to say, uh, so David confirms the way of looking at it saying that the one who trusts God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is one fortunate man fortunate those whose crimes are carried off whose sins are wiped clean from the slate fortunate the person against whom the Lord does not keep score now I don't know about you Okay, I was new in the Lord, and I got saved. I had a glorious salvation. It was a great experience. I mean, it was glorious. No doubt about it. I walked outside the door of the church. I don't know what you call it, but I'm a different person. <laughs> everybody around me, everybody knew me. Something different than that guy. Okay, and everything was lovely for two weeks. <laughs> But then that old temper sprung back up again. Oh. And the devil condemned me and just beat me down and beat me down and beat me down. And that's the way a lot of people are in Christendom. They miss, they miss the mark. And the condemnation sets in. And it's not... The condemnation is not what they did that keeps them away from God. It's the shame of what they feel that keeps them away from God. <clears throat> and, and of course, 
the, the quicker we can learn to walk uh, in the spirit, the better off we are. Uh, and he goes on to say, do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those who keep our religious ways? Paul, uh, Paul is actually talking about the Jews. Keep our religious ways and are circumcised. Or do you think it possible that the blessing could be given to those who never heard of our ways? Talking about me. Who were never brought up in the disciples of God. We all agree, don't we? That it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God. Embracing what God did for him. You see, Abraham wasn't a Jew as we know Jewism today. There were no Jews or Gentiles. They were just people. Okay. And God selected Abraham according to the scriptures, because he would teach, command his children. Because he knows the future of the world. And one of the things he said to Abraham, I made you a father of many people. We don't know in our lives. You know, years ago I read this story. Evangelistic, evangelistic meeting, evangelist preach. Had one convert, came back to his hotel room a little discouraged, and he writes in his diary, he said, tonight I had one convert, just one. His name was Billy Graham. Just one. Oh, my goodness. The people that we touch, you never know. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? My pastor that pastored me in that little Assembly of God church when I received Christ had no clue that one day I'd spend 40 years on the mission field and receive thousands upon thousands of healings and people blessed coming into salvation. Had no clue. The Baptist pastor that passed by my house on Friday afternoon Hunting season starting on Saturday. I'm getting my truck loaded because Saturday morning before daylight, I'm going to be sitting in a tree stand deer hunting. He had no idea. When he stopped by my house, talked to me about being born again, I wasn't interested. I'm trying to load my truck. I don't want to hear from you. But when he left, he said this. If you come to church Sunday... The Lord will bless you. I'm not going to church on Sunday. I'm going hunting. <laughs> Saturday morning, sitting in my tree stand. Nice big wild hog walks out. Pow. Heard these words. If you come to church Sunday, the Lord will bless you. An hour later, a nice deer walks out. Pow. Heard those words again. Come to church Sunday, the Lord will bless you. I didn't go hunting on Sunday. I stayed home and turned on the television. And here this woman is on television with a long flowing dress with this weird voice. She's talking about God. And a young boy gets up that had polio that couldn't walk. And walks across that platform. And I'm sitting there crying. I'm thinking, what is happening to me? Because it was undeniable that God had touched this young boy. His face was glowing. That Baptist pastor didn't realize two weeks later I'm going to the Assembly of God Church. I'm going to receive Christ. And from there I'm going to Rainbow Bible Training Center. From there right to Mission field, Guatemala. He had no idea. We have no idea of the person, the seed that we sow. If you come to church Sunday, the Lord will bless you. One of our ministers years ago, he's been in Ecuador a long time. He worked with children. He's up in a mountain city and he's sitting on the bench. Young boy walks by and he says, little kid. He said, hey! 
Did you know that Jesus loves you? And the boy stopped and he said, Jesus loves me? He said, yeah, Jesus loves you. He said, he jumped up and down and he said, Jesus loves me. Took off around the... He said, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. We don't ever know what happened to that young man. But think about him starting his life as a young kid knowing that Jesus loves him. Jesus starts his ministry with these words. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hadn't preached a sermon. Actual preaching. Hadn't won anybody to, to the new covenant yet. Hadn't healed anybody. But he starts his life with these words. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Man, I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, and Abraham, it, it, this, this, this guy, you know, he, he, he think about it. Here, God just shows up. <laughs> Abraham, I'm El Shaddai. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Leave. Go to where I'm telling you to go. He didn't. He didn't do exactly like God said. But God didn't abandon him. Why? Because God's purpose was bigger than Abraham himself. God's purpose is bigger than you. Hallelujah. It's bigger than what we think it is. And what God's doing in the earth today. There's a lot of things going on. But don't you ever think that God is sitting down doing nothing. Difficult? A lot of distractions? A lot of things going on? Absolutely. We've all, in one sense in the church of whole, we've lost loved ones over this COVID type stuff. Thank God for heaven. Thank God for the reality of heaven. Oh my goodness, thank God for that. And of course, he goes on here and he makes several things. He says, now think, was the declaration made before or after He was marked by the covenant rite of circumcision. That's right, before he was marked. That means he underwent circumcision as evidence of confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into this acceptable standing with himself. An act of God he had embraced with his whole life. Thank God for the new birth. But the new birth is the evidence yes. what God has done before in Christ. Oh, that's good. That is so good. It's our greatest witness Amen. that it is true that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That Christ has brought us into eternal life. The greatest witness. And if you and I can realize it, and get rid of the sin-conscious mind that we grew up with. Yes. Taught in the church many times. Yes. Preached on from the pulpit over and over and over again. I can't tell you how many times I got saved. Yeah, me too. He was the one I appreciate the church, I appreciate the pastor. But every month we had an evangelist come in. He preached hell and sin so hard that he had the whole church at the altar repenting again. Getting saved again. Next month, again. Next month, again. And that sin consciousness holds us back. What a great privilege we have to hear the truth that Christ has made a new creation. I like what Ephesians chapter 2 says. You're his handiwork the work of his hand now you might not see it this way but this is the way I see it when you accepted Christ you were his handiwork a new creation 
I believe God jumped back and said, Whoa, I outdone myself on that one. What we need to do is take that old man. That old man, Jim Andrews, died on Easter Sunday morning, 1975. Take him over here and put him in a grave. If we want to put some flowers on it, put some flowers on it. And leave him there. That's what Paul said. Put off the old man and put on the new man. There's not a lady in here that goes to try out a new dress without taking off the old one. That's right. Because they don't want to buy a bigger size. That's right. You it. <laughs> so let's take him off, that old man. Put him to one side. This new man. Now, let me jump down here because my time is about out. He says, and it means, Father, that Abraham is father of all people who embrace what God does for them while they are still on the outs with God, as yet unidentified as God's in his uncircumcised condition. It is precisely these people in this condition who are called set right by God with God. Abraham is also, of course, follow those who have undergone the religious rite of circumcision. Not just because of the ritual, but because they were willing to live in the risky faith embrace of God's action for them. The way Abraham lived long before he was marked by circumcision, that famous promise God gave Abraham that he and his children would possess the earth. What county is this? This is Jefferson County. Jefferson? Jefferson. Not just Jefferson County. Just the edge of Blue. Yeah. Not just Jefferson County. Not Etowa County. Not Santa Clara County. Alabama. That's true. And not just Alabama. Somebody said, I don't want to own all the property. I just want to own what joins mine. <laughs> Possessors of the earth. Yes. Amen. See, we've been called to reign, not sometime in the distant future today. We've been called to reign in life. Like you said, Man reigns over his area of life, over his family. <clears throat> I like what you said, you know, the, about responsibility. This came to me years ago. See, Jesus introduced a new identity to God. My father. What? Yeah, he's my father. Well, we pray that way. Heavenly Father, you're my father. He said, yeah, that's right. I'm your father. I accept the responsibility to be your father. God has accepted the responsibility to be our heavenly father. And he said over in Philippians, Philippians <laughs> that he would supply all of our needs according to what you do. No, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's our Heavenly Father. Amen. <laughs> and he says... <clears throat> Not just because of the ritual, but because they were willing to live in the risky faith embrace of God's action for them. Now, now you realize, in the context that Paul's writing, <clears throat> the book of Galatians, Philippians, and even some say he, Paul wrote Hebrews, I believe he probably did. But Paul realizes, like in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, 
that his own countrymen was rejecting what God was giving. They rejected Christ. They preferred some kind of natural animal sacrifice. They could not conceive that this God that they knew about was a God that loved them so much that he... Now, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been to a... a, a and I won't say it that way, but, you know, <clears throat> animals don't go to the sacrifice voluntarily. <laughs> Jesus did. Nobody forced him. He went voluntarily. Okay. <clears throat> so that famous promise God gave Abraham that he and his children would possess the earth was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered in when he believed. God made a decision. Years ago, I read this story. King is getting up in age. He has no heir. So he goes to the street kids and he adopts a street kid. Young man, just a kid, off the street. Brings him into the palace. And as the king is observing him, the young man comes off the street. No father, no mother. He's a street kid. He watches him go through the palace he finds this trinket of gold and he reaches over and he picks it up, puts it in his pocket. So the king's greatest challenge was to get this kid to understand him being in the palace was not his decision, but the king's decision. Mm, very good. And everything that the king owned belonged to him. You know, I've seen different different cultures with different different laws and stuff like that. We got in the country of Peru, and if one of the parents died, then <clears throat> the inheritance, it depends on how many kids they had or whatever like that, half was given to the wife, and the other half was divided amongst the kids. And we've actually seen some of the kids, because it's a house, Make the mother sell the house so they can get their portion. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, that's not, that's not the way it works. I mean, if the man and there's a couple and the man dies, everything goes to the wife. It's hers. I mean, it doesn't belong to the kids yet, but not there. Legally, it belongs to the, to the kids. Half of it belongs to the kids. And they can legally do a legal thing to get her out of the house so they can divide the house or split the house up, sell it, whatever, so they can get their portion. And I, we've actually seen that take place. And so uh, I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's, that's not the way it should work. Uh, <clears throat> but in this case, it was God. Like the prodigal son. I often wondered, where, where, what's he cut? Where, what? I mean, the prodigal son comes to him and says, I want my portion. Well, not yet. <laughs> but he said, the scripture says he divided it up between them, the older and the younger. And of course, you know the story. The younger took his and went off and the centuries living and spent all he had and everything of that nature. And I often wonder, well, why? why didn't his dad just say, not yet? Why? Because in Judaism and in Roman society, there was a thing called son placing. You find that in the book of Galatians called adoption of sons. It's actually son placing. Interesting, in chapter 4, Paul starts off, says, when we were children, nephews, minor, some say not able to talk. Talking about the old covenant being underneath the old covenant. We were children. We were under tutors and governors. Then he goes on to talking about that. the Spirit was sent in and we cried out, Abba, Father. And we're sons. Because we received the adoption of sons. Word changes, adult son. 
the very day somebody receives Christ and comes into the kingdom of God, he is an heir of God. And joint heir with Jesus Christ. You know what joint heir means? I didn't know what that meant. And I'm in, I'm in Peru and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching and I've got trouble with this guy that's working with us because I call him my co-pastor. Well, in Spanish it doesn't say joint, it says co-heir. And I'm preaching on that and I thought, oh, I see the problem. <laughs> the co-heir means everything that Jesus inherited, you inherited also. You're co-heir with Christ. Everything that Jesus has belongs to you. You're co-heir. I can't get your part and you can't get my part. It's mine. Okay? There's enough to go around. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> and, and so... You know the story of the prodigal son. He spent all his money, comes back. But he comes back with this mindset. I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll just be a servant, sleep out at the servants' quarters. Because servants have it better in my house than what I've got it. There's only one problem. The father won't accept that. You might have messed up. Some people mess up. Mess up big sometimes. But you're still a son. All you got to do is come back. Still a son. Still a son. Now, let me finish up with this. It says, That famous promise God gave, children, God gave Abraham, he and his children would possess the earth, was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him which Abraham entered in when he believed. If those of you who get everything, <clears throat> get what God gives you, only get it by doing everything they're told to do and filling out all the right forms properly, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns to promise into an ironclad contract. It's not a holy promise. That's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you're never able to collect. Sounds like the devil to me. But if there's no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise at that, you can't break it. Not your promise. You can't break it. You can ignore it. You cannot receive it. You can say it's not true, but you can't break it. Because somebody's going to come along. They're going to read that promise. They're going to say, I believe it. They're going to embrace it. And they're going to receive the benefit of it. I just think about Abraham. God made that covenant with Abraham. As father of the faith. And God told him, said, you're going to be the father of many peoples. Actually, he said, in one place, in you, all nations will be blessed. What a tremendous thing to know. That maybe you're past the age of giving physical children. That you can give birth to spiritual children. And those spiritual children can affect this world that we live in. You can affect this world that we live in. <clears throat> Many times we don't realize this. <clears throat> you know, so years ago we were down in the Amazon jungle basin. Great missionaries, old stock missionaries. Their parents lived in there and translated the, the, the Bible into the Boer language. They grew up in the Boer Indian tribe and uh, <clears throat> great people. And uh, they're down there in the jungle and <laughs> uh, and you think they're stuck off out here in the, in, in the jungle, you know? I mean, they, they. But the fact is that they, their kids grew up in the ministry, not that they have to, okay? 
Because missionaries' kids, pastors' kids can go into business. Yeah. Sometimes we don't look at business world as a ministry. Go into politics. Politics is a ministry. Yes. Okay? If we trained our kids right, okay? <clears throat> but what we don't realize is that one person can affect many, many people around the world. And so I encourage you, be a spiritual father, be a spiritual mom. Take the time to sow that seed to people and watch what God does with it. Amen? Hey, I'm going to finish. Thank you, Brother Jim. That's so cool. Guys, let's, let's do this uh, as we come out. Just, I just want to close your eyes. I just want to take a minute again. We've just been, as we said, for the last month and a half, we've been really wanting to engage our... You can tell she loves God. <laughs> <laughs>